The Pazuzi has been poured. The candle is lit. What kind of candle today? Oh. Uh, home decor candle. Home decor. With a pumpkin on it. With a pumpkin. Pumpkin candle has been lit. Welcome to the Horror Salon. I am your co-host, Andemic. And I'm your co-host, The Witch. All right. We're back, horror nerds. This is crazy. First time back out of uh, self-imposed pandemic. So I, or uh, what is it called? Not Quarantine. Pandemic. That's the one. That's Will right. Will you be my quarantine? Apparently right. that was a big thing at Valentine's Day. I, I don't know. Really? Yeah. It was? Will you be my quarantine? Am I just making that up? I mean, you're probably I not. I might have just lied to you. I have been <laughs> so out of the bubble of... Mm-hmm. Uh, society yeah so i that could have been a thing that i missed it's entirely possible it's entirely possible i don't even know what day it is um so that's a good thing to talk about this is the first time pandemic and i have been back physically together Mm -hmm. in months months we have made it our business to basically quarantine totally so that we could be back together yes because it was just horrible yeah it was too hor- it's too much it's too much to be alone yeah and, but we wanted to ensure you all knew we were being very responsible very um because we're still in a pandemic despite what some people may or may not think mm-hmm. um and we are treating it very seriously so very serious taking some precautions to be here tonight with each other and with you including this booze forward Pazoo's. That is right. Uh, that the witch has cooked up. She is back in her true form. Um, so why don't you tell us what it is we're going to be trying? Yeah. So our Pazoo's tonight is dedicated to the theme of the night. Oh, yeah. We should say that. Which is freaky folklore. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I wanted to find something that was very whimsical and that went along with the idea of freaky folklore. So I found something called the ginger rabbit. And I should rewind just a tad before I tell you what the ginger rabbit is all about. And I should say um, for anyone who might be new to the podcast um, or if you just haven't listened in a while and you needed a refresher. Um, well, actually, Endemic, do you want to share the story of how Pazoo's got to be named Pazoo's? Because it's my favorite. Do I remember the story? The Mountain Dew. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, it's been a long pandemic. (laughs) We were sitting around a table at lunch and you were drinking so much Mountain Dew Code Red. I believe it's Code Red. Was it Code Red? I believe it was. Oh God, it probably was. And you said it was like the devil's juice. Yeah, the devil's elixir. The devil's elixir. And And then Pazuz. Pazuzu is the demon figure in the exorcist. Yes. So we just kind of, it, it, it got a life of its own after that. It did. And so then it, it's now just the Pazoos or the Pazuzi. Yeah, or the Pazuzi, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. We interchange it. Code Red is glorious. It is. I haven't had it in months. Yeah. Because it's so sugary. It is. But it is pretty tasty. But it is delicious. It is tasty. <laughs> so that is the story behind the Pazoos. So every episode, we choose a different drink uh, to be our featured Pazoos of the episode. Um, and tonight's Pazoos is the Ginger Rabbit. And we usually do a really fun little kind of review, <laughs> I'd say, and put it up on our website. Um, that's thehorrorsalon.com. And we rate it and we 
give you some links where you can go and buy the ingredients or get the uh, recipe or if it's a beer where mm-hmm. you might find that craft brewery, all sorts of fun stuff up on the website. So I encourage you to check that out. Yeah. Um, we always try and post that before the episode so you have some time if you want to drink along with us. Yeah, which we would can. love. Yeah, we'd love for you to send us pictures of you drinking along with us. Please do. That'd be awesome. Please do. Um, and we also put it up on our Instagram. So that's at the horror salon. So if you want to drink with us, we highly encourage it. Uh, if you are 21 years and no. Uh, exactly. Of course. <laughs> so tonight is the ginger rabbit. Like I said, um, this one is fun because it is a bourbon based cocktail and it has a really quirky ingredient, a anise and black tea infused simple syrup. And which, in uh, true witch form, did you make that simple syrup yourself? I surely did. Of course you did. I surely did, and I am super excited because I had I didn't even I didn't even taste it, so I was like going to do this live, yeah, on the show. Um, but I think it's going to be fun, and I picked it because it's called the Ginger Rabbit, and it reminded me of Alice in Wonderland, and mm. we're talking about fairy tales, yeah. and I felt like makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is the ginger rabbit. The recipe got off of liquor.com. I get most of my stuff that I'm like, hey, I want to try something different out that's got a really cool like directory of drinks on there. Um, So we'll post the link to their site uh, up on our website so that you can partake. Um, But we are going to we're going to go ahead and get the get the sipper going. Oh, boy. (laughs) First off, it smells kind of like Smarties. Kind of like Violet Smarties. All right, here I go. Oh. Oh, what else? Pandemic. This is not a hit for Andemic. <clears throat> My eyes I, are watering. I can taste burb, right? Yeah, definitely taste the bourbon in there. It's sweet. It almost tastes like... Like, it's interesting because it tastes like a sweet tea with bourbon in it. And your palate is... It. But I don't get much of the anise flavor. Mm-mm. No, and I was looking forward to that. Yeah. That's interesting. And I don't get much of the ginger flavor either. I feel like this tastes more like just a bourbon. This is very bourbon forward. It might be because I put six shots of bourbon in it. <laughs> Could be why that bourbon... <clears throat> I'll drink it. I think it's pretty yummy, but I do say this is more like a bourbon iced tea than anything else. I don't know what planet you're living on, but my palate is burning. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. I really <laughs> thought this was going to be a little more anisey, and I know you love black licorice. I do. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be up and uh wheelhouse and it is um probably not in your wheelhouse at all but it is in mine and i will be drinking this gleefully you will indeed and i will be drinking it begrudgingly yes you will but i will finish the damn thing yes you will i will do the damn thing but i will say i watched her muddle actual like fresh ginger i did and lemon peel i did it also might be because i shook it with ice and it did say to just stir it well, what kind of difference does that really make? Does it is it the watering down thing about yeah, the chipping off of the ice? Maybe. I don't really know. How dare you serve me a watered down I beverage? Know, How I dare know, you? I know, I know. So maybe if I made it correctly, it would taste correct. Okay. <laughs> I understand that now. In the moment, I was just really excited to use my shaker because no one has been in my house for a year. That's true. So 
Fair enough. Okay, but I mean, for those of you out there who have a have a more refined palate than than my dumpster fire palate right now, um, I think you'll like this. It's it's fancy. It is fancy. It is. It's pretty good. It's it's impress your friends when we're allowed to have them over. <laughs> you should do that. Um, I also wanted to give a shout out. I know we're talking freaky folklore tonight, mm-hmm. um, but I wanted to give a shout out because today is a very special day. Um, we're recording this. So we're recording this a little earlier than when it's going to launch. It's February 18th right now. Um, but it is Toni Morrison's birthday. Oh, wow. Excellent. Yeah. So I thought it, we should at least acknowledge that for those of you who I'm imagining most people listening to this podcast have at least heard of Toni Morrison. Uh, yeah. Um, but if you're unfamiliar with her work, you should really familiarize yourself with her work because she's like utterly brilliant, genius writer. Um, but she's also from Ohio. Yeah. And from those of you who may not know, uh, both Andemic and myself are Ohioans, so it's particularly yeah, special. And she's not a stranger to horror. Sure. No. Like, she has some supernatural, especially in Beloved. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Very supernatural Absolutely. story. So I uh, wanted to give her a special shout-out. Uh, late and great, Toni Morrison. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Miss Morrison. Miss Morrison. So, freaky folklore. I'm excited. I'm excited too. It's very meaty, very meaty, very meaty season where we have laid out for you all together. Yes. Um, So it's also a little intimidating, but we're both literary nerds of, uh, of one ilk or another. Yeah. But still, I feel, it kind of feels like coming home talking about this stuff because we're both like into horror. Mm -hmm. We met because of literature. We did. It feels like this. We worked in a haunted house together. This was meant to be. All right. Well, then I, I, I feel like you should get us started because you're going to take more of the, the, the academic type approach okay. to the way you um, the way you prepare. And okay. then I'm going to read a story. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love stories. Um, so folklore, it's like it's near and dear to my heart. Yes, because I feel like I grew up reading a lot of folklore, watching stories inspired by folklore. Um Definitely studied it in college. It was one of my um, almost minors. I kind of regret that it wasn't an Mm. actual minor of mine. I didn't really follow through with that one, but Mm. it took a lot of classes in folklore and it was a ton of fun. Awesome, awesome genre. Um, And so how I kind of view folklore is it's kind of this umbrella, right? It has, there are lots of things that could be considered folklore and tonight obviously we're going to be focusing on stories right different Mm -hmm. types of stories but folklore is above and beyond just the story even um you've got traditions Mm -hmm. you've got physical craft and art Mm -hmm. um practices all sorts of things that can be lumped into what what makes folklore folklore um so i guess the official definition of folklore is it's a body of culture shared by a group of people And I love that because, you know, a group of people can be kind of gathered together for whatever reason, right? It could be based on geography, based on culture, based on spirituality, based on hobby. Um, You can really find folklore in so many different ways. What I love about that is uh, the the topics, um, the subject matter of a lot of folklore is the same in every culture. There is... There is something yes. the same in every culture, but told through their own 
their own reality, their own mind's eye. I, yeah. And I don't know how that happens. It almost feels like, you know, we all have human experiences that are similar, maybe based on age, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. But because of your worldview, your perspective, mm-hmm. it's told in a different way. It's super funny you're talking mm-hmm. about that because when we get uh, later on and start sharing some of the stories that we've come across for tonight, um, that's one of the things I want to bring up is like so many of these stories you can find in different cultures. And it's yeah. like these are very similar. These mm-hmm. are the same, like almost the same, but they're just from a different perspective, a different yeah. lens, have a different moral at the end maybe. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It is like shared globally. Yeah. I, the, just the, the s- human nature is kind of a universal thing. Yes. Um, Isn't that funny to think so about? It is so weird to think about it like that. But stories halfway around the world from one another have that same core component. Yes. But told through completely different, different way. Different ways. In yeah. different ways. I love it. I love it too. I think it's super fascinating. So, um, so yeah, folklore is like this umbrella and then some of the different types of story folklore. So the stories specifically that kind of fall under this umbrella. And I'm going to name a few that are really popular, but this is by no means an exhaustive list. There's so many different types of stories out there, obviously. Um, but some of the more popular ones. So we obviously we've got fairy tales. Mm-hmm. We've got fables, mm-hmm. myths and legends. So those are two, yeah. four very big ones. Um, fairy tales, we actually did a whole episode on fairy tales and we their did. dark origins in our season one of the podcast. So if you haven't checked that out, highly recommend going back and checking that out. Features an awesome friend of ours, Katrina Kittle. Yeah. Um, so I would I would definitely oh, recommend that was, that. That was a really good episode. It was fun. It yeah. was so fun. Um, but a fairy tale basically is defined as a short story. So it's not a very long telling of anything. Um, it's really digestible and it has some magical element typically to it Um, and the other way you're able to recognize a fairy tale aside from the magic is it usually features some sort of anthropomorphized character or characters Um, so if you think things like Cinderella Snow White those would be something that would be considered your typical fairy tale okay um So then when you go into fables, um, kind of similar elements to a fairy tale with the short story, it's anthropomorphized characters again, Mm -hmm. but the difference very subtly is at the end of a fable, you're always going to have some sort of lesson or moral. Um, So think the tortoise and the hare, Mm -hmm. the lion and the mouse. The unicorn in the garden. The unicorn in the garden. Exactly right. So that is exactly what a fable is all about. It's just got that little moral nugget at the end. Um, Myths, which I think are really fascinating. When you get into myths and legends, I think it's really particularly fascinating. So myths are stories that play some function in society. Um, So they might be an origin story um, uh, of you know, a culture or of Mm -hmm. a place or of a practice. Um, And they typically feature a god, a deity, some sort of supernatural element in that way. And so if you think back to, especially to ancient Greece, you've got the Iliad, the Odyssey, all sorts of stories. Yeah. Yeah. And those are all very typical myths. Mm -hmm. Um, And then finally we get to legends, which I'm particularly fascinated by. So legends subtly different from myth in that it is always centered on human beings 
Um, and the only thing that really qualifies a legend is it's centered on human characters and both the teller and the audience likely believe it was true. Okay. So the best example and near and dear to my heart, <laughs> King Arthur. Ah. Uh, is a legend. Yes. Um, and that is, King Arthur is actually the reason that I almost, uh, uh, minored in folklore because I, I literally went to my advisor and said I've taken 10 King Arthur classes <laughs> at this point what oh, can I, I do with I love those that? stories though about the Knights of the Round Table yes yeah yes so that that is a prime perfect example of a legend so they all have very subtle differences mm-hmm. a lot of times they're used interchangeably even though they're not technically interchangeable um, but I think it's really neat to kind of just think about the different nuances between be, you know behind the different stories that we tell yeah. um and that that's what categorizes them in different ways now for the purposes of what we're sharing tonight i don't know that we're really gonna <laughs> tell you if it's a myth or a fable or a fairy tale but um just know that there are all sorts of stories out there with all sorts of different tropes can i tell you what's legend at this point please uh my taste buds because they're all dead from this ginger rabbit but that might be a good thing you know I'm going to embrace it. Yeah, embrace it. I am. Embrace I'm going to embrace, embrace that. I'm going to own it. So um, so now that we know what folklore, like we kind of have the idea of what folklore is, right? And we've talked a little bit about the different types of stories that exist within the, the genre. Um, I thought it'd be kind of cool to just take a brief look at the history behind it um, and, and kind of see, you know, how did this whole thing originate or really how did we start studying this? Because I think it can be argued that folklore has existed since people. Have since existed. people, absolutely. Yeah, like we've always gathered together and there were always practices, rituals, beliefs, things yeah. that brought us together. So folklore existed in some form or another since the beginning of time. Right. Um, but it wasn't really studied formally until the 1700s. Um, and what's really interesting about when it started to being, being studied as kind of a formal genre mm. or, or practice, um, it was when folks were trying to kind of gather stories based on geographies, and they were really interested in nation building around these stories. So if you think... Um, you know, there were large swaths of land yeah. with different communities living on these swaths of land. And if you wanted to become a, a nation, um, you had to kind of make a case, build a case mm-hmm. as to why those different communities should be lumped together into one nation. And so one of the ways that they were really campaigning or building these nations was through folklore, yeah. um, saying, OK, in this geography, these folks believe in X, Y, Z. Here are some of the stories that prove X, Y, Z. This is why this particular swath of land should be a nation. Interesting. Yeah. So it actually had kind of this political purpose, which I think is so interesting because when you think of folklore, um, it oftentimes gets associated with kind of just this traditional oral passing down through the generations. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really have this formal feel to it, right? But that's how they were using it in this kind of political way. Is it a way. forced sense of formality, though? Maybe. A, a manipulation tactic to... I mean... 
here, possibly. look at these things you have in common. Let's be a nation. Let's be a nation. And I mean, I think you. that could possibly be an argument depending on who was trying to do the nation building, right? Yeah. You know, who was trying to lump who together? Who you, were the political players at the yeah. time? Yeah, I think that could definitely have been a Interesting. factor. Well, I that just... I mean, this is a, a story for another time and, you know, not something we'll, we'll discuss here, but it just reminds me of the Bible a little bit. Oh, so, well, I was just, yeah. just thinking nation building. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. I mean, think back to the, yeah, the witches and Christianity kind mm-hmm. of taking hold in England and, right. you know, going north towards more pagan territory. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, you hmm. could definitely see how folklore could play a part in well folklore they would be tearing it down in that instance well right right. absolutely um but folklore still playing a part in some Mm -hmm. way there so yeah i think you're exactly right interesting it could be used for good or for bad Mm -hmm. um and kind of to that point folklore was often associated with peasants and poor communities rural communities because often those communities were you know more typically sharing their traditions and stories from generation to generation and that's how they were kind of preserving their community um and then you know people building cities and you know these kind of more modern communities would come in and and collect those stories and maybe use them for good maybe use them for bad but it was kind of this um pitting tradition against modernity in a way yeah absolutely mm-hmm. so wow I think, that's interesting yeah so folklore has a very interesting past um and how it was used and actually that kind of segues nicely into some of the major players of folklore because one of the the biggest i think you could argue player in folklore the brothers Grimm, right were using it for that exact purpose um all things that i could read and horror nerds please correct mm-hmm. me if i'm wrong because i haven't like delved super deep into the brothers Grimm. i've only kind of scratched the surface of their history but from what I could tell, I feel like they were more um, benevolent when they were gathering this folklore, although they did publish it as a collection of stories and profit off of it. Right. So that feels bad to me. Um, but they, I, I don't think they were trying to build a nation um, with ill will. Is what I'm trying to say. They were just trying to build a nation. They were just trying to build a pocket. nation and get money in their pocket. Exactly. Yeah. That part was the ill will. Yeah. Um, but the Brothers Grimm, so it was Jacob and Wilhelm, um, they are from Germany and operated in the 19th century. Um, and like I said, they were really they were really focused on collecting German folklore. Right. So if it was beyond Germany, they were not interested whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, they were really interested in collecting German folklore. And that's because they were trying to make a case that Germany should become its own nation. Um, And so that is kind of why they focus so hard on German Hmm. tales. Um, They, uh, like I said, they did collect a bunch of tales and publish that collection. It's called the Children's and Household Tales and published it in 1812. And take with that what you will. I mean, they were Mm -hmm. collecting this from the the folk, the the peasants, the rural communities. um, And then they profited off of it. So you can't, I mean, there's there's really no sugarcoat in that. That's what they did. Yeah. Um, their collection of stories house some of the very popular n- fairy tales that you know, Cinderella, Snow White, Hansel and Gretel, right. that type of stuff. Um, but their history is really cool. Um, so they were two of nine children. 
And they actually were born into kind of a higher society um, household. And then when they were very young, their father passed of pneumonia. So very quickly, they fell from this kind of aristocratic mm-hmm. um, household to being poor. Sure. And they, because we're in the 19th century Germany, um, they were then considered the men of the household. Right. Uh, because the woman clearly could not of course have not. taken care of her Of course estate. not. Right. Um, but it was through that sort of... Uh, you know, being thrust into this position of power in the yeah. family that those two really kind of got along. They they created this bond because they were in this together and they were really young when it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so they kind of took care of the family for a while and then they both attended the same university. They attended the University of Marburg. Um, and there they studied, studied German literature and language. And so I think that's really what got them into this collection of folk tales and German identity and what does that mean mm. and how can we build a nation around German identity and collect these stories to prove that we are a nation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what really got them into it. Um, what's interesting about that time in their lives is when they went off to university, uh, they were not considered part of the crowd. Um, if you think about who was attending university sure. at the time. It was aristocrats. Absolutely. Um, so they said, oh, those poor kids, mm-hmm. they can't sit at, you know, sit at the table. <laughs> and so that's actually something that Jacob and Wilhelm didn't resent. Um, they were kind of happy for it because they said that it, well, I don't know that they said this, but a lot of <laughs> scholars believe that that allowed them to really dive into their studies and be able to collect these stories yeah. and create this collection of German folklore. Mm-hmm. And so had they been more involved in university shenanigans, who knows if right. we even would have would've, the fairy yeah. tales we have today. So I thought that was an interesting point um, to be made. Um, after they publish their collection, um, leave university, they become librarians, work in really high esteem. Um, they then uh, become professors at the University of, I might be pronouncing this wrong, Gottingen? Gottingen? Um, and so they became professors there, but they were fired from that position um, because they would not sign an oath of allegiance to the king of Hanover, oh Ernest boy. Augustus. Um, so they got fired from that position. That kind of sat weird in their mouth. So they got yeah. into politics a little bit. And then the end of their life was really dedicated. They were really wanting to um, create this thing called the German Dictionary, um, which th- they did not finish before they passed. However, it has been finished since, um, and it is the largest collection of the German language. Um, So they really dedicated their whole lives to their heritage. They they dedicated their whole lives to kind of preserving the German heritage, um, which I think is cool. Yeah, Um, it is. Because how many of those stories would have just been lost to time if if they would have stayed in, especially if they had stayed in the oral tradition? Exactly. So even though there was probably some seedy ill will of course um yes. there uh, we're grateful that we at least have those stories, stories now because i knew you were going to do the heavy lifting on on the history of who they were i just picked a story that i really liked and i thought i should read it okay seriously the ginger rabbit it's sitting in my medulla it is sitting in your medulla that's correct that's where it, i gotta read a story now where it lives <laughs> oh my god okay 
So I just picked the story. Um, I was just reading through um, a lot of stories over the last couple weeks. And this one's called Clever Hans. We don't own this. We didn't write this. This is a story compiled by the Brothers Grimm. Without further ado, I shall read it. Clever Hans. The mother of Hans said, Whither away, Hans? Hans answered to Gretel. Behave well, Hans. Oh, I'll behave well. Goodbye, mother. Goodbye, Hans. Hans comes to Gretel. Good day, Gretel. Good day, Hans. What do you bring that is good? I bring nothing. I want to have something given me. Gretel presents Hans with a needle. Hans says, goodbye, Gretel. Goodbye, Hans. Already Hans is... Hans. Yeah. What the hell? Hans takes the needle, sticks it into a hay cart, and follows the cart home. Good evening, mother. Good evening, Hans. Where have you been? With Gretel. What did you take her? Took nothing. Had something given me. What did Gretel give you? Gave me a needle. Where is the needle, Hans? Stuck in the hay cart. That was ill done, Hans. You should have stuck the needle in your sleeve. Never mind. I'll do better next time. Whither away, Hans? To Gretel, mother. Behave well, Hans. Oh, I'll behave well. Goodbye, mother. Goodbye, Hans. Hans comes to Gretel. Good day, Gretel. Good day, Hans. What do you bring that is good? I bring nothing. I want to have something given to me. Gretel presents Hans with a knife. How boring uh, you are, Hans. I know. Goodbye, Gretel. Goodbye, Hans. Hans takes the knife, sticks it in his sleeve, and goes home. Good evening, mother. Good evening, Hans. Where have you been? With Gretel. What did you take her? Took her nothing. She gave me something. What did Gretel give you? Gave me a knife. Where is the knife, Hans? Stuck in my sleeve. That's ill done, Hans. You should have put the knife in your pocket. Never mind. We'll do better next time. Whither away, Hans? To Gretel, mother. Behave well, Hans. Oh, I'll behave well. Goodbye, mother. Goodbye, Hans. Hans comes to Gretel. Good day, Gretel. Good day, Hans. What good thing do you bring? I bring nothing. I want something given to me. Gretel presents Hans with a young goat. Goodbye, Gretel. Goodbye, Hans. Hans takes the goat, ties its legs, and puts it in his pocket. When he gets home... How the hell did that whole ass <laughs> goat get in Hans' well, pocket? Well, I mean, when he gets home, it is suffocated. Good evening, mother. Good because evening, it was Hans. so friggin' yeah. tightly packed in his little in his tiny little ass, pocket. ass pocket. Good evening, Hans. Where have you been? With Gretel. What did you take her? Took nothing. She gave me something. What did Gretel give you? She gave me a goat. Where is the goat, Hans? Put it in my pocket. That was ill done, Hans. You should have put a rope around the goat's neck. Never mind. We'll do better next time. Wither away, Hans. Fucking hate Hans. <laughs> to Gretel, mother. Behave well, Hans. Oh, I'll behave well. Goodbye, mother. Goodbye, Hans. Hans comes to Gretel. Good day, Gretel. Good day, Hans. What good thing do you bring? I bring nothing. I want something given to me. Gretel presents Hans with a piece of bacon. Goodbye, Gretel. <laughs> Goodbye, Hans. Hans takes the bacon, ties it to a rope, and drags it away behind him. What the fuck <laughs> is wrong with you? The dogs come and devour the bacon. When he gets home, he has the rope in his hand, and there is no longer anything hanging on to it. Good evening, Mother. Good evening, Hans. Where have you been? With Gretel. What did you take her? I took her nothing. She gave me something. What did Gretel give you? Gave me a bit of bacon. Where's the bacon, Hans? I tied it to a rope, brought it home. Dogs took it. That was ill done, Hans. You should have carried the bacon on your head. Never mind. We'll Why? do better next time. 
Wither away, Hans. To Gretel, mother. Slide it in there. Slide it in those locks. (laughs) Behave behave well, Hans. I'll behave well. Goodbye, mother. Goodbye, Hans. Hans comes to Gretel. Good day, Gretel. Good day, Hans. What What good thing do you bring? I bring nothing, but would have something given. Gretel presents Hans with a calf. Goodbye, Gretel. Goodbye, Hans. What's he going to do? Shove this up his ass. Maybe. Hans takes the calf, puts it on his head, and the calf kicks his face. <laughs> Good evening, mother. Good <laughs> evening, Hans. Oh my <laughs> Where God. have you been with Gretel? What did you take her? I took her nothing, but had something given me. What did Gretel give you? A calf. Where is the calf, Hans? I set it on my head, and it kicked my face. That was ill done, Hans. You should have led the calf and put it in the stall. Never mind. We'll do better next time. Now what's he going to lead and put in the stall? <sighs> Wither away, Hans. To Gretel, mother. Behave well, Hans. I'll behave well. Goodbye, mother. Goodbye, Where Hans. Where the hell is Gretel, by the I way? Clearly close. <laughs> Hans comes to Gretel. Good day, Gretel. Good day, Hans. What good thing do you bring? I bring nothing, but would have something given. Gretel says to Hans, I will go with you. Hans takes Gretel, ties her to a rope, leads her to the rack, and binds her fast. Then Hans goes to his mother. Good evening, mother. Good evening, Hans. Where have you been? With Gretel. What did you take her? I took her nothing. What did Gretel give you? She gave me nothing. She came with me. Where have you left Gretel? I led her by the rope, tied her to the rack, and scattered some grass for her. That was ill done, Hans. You should have cast friendly eyes upon her. Never mind. We'll do better. Hans went into the stable, cut out all the calves and sheep's eyes, and threw them in Gretel's face. Then Gretel became angry, tore herself loose, and ran away, and was no longer the bride of Hans. What in the actual fuck? (laughs) He cut out the eyes of the poor livestock and threw them at Gretel. Yeah, and she got pissed and ran away. As you do. Yeah. You know, I didn't even bother to look up what this means. Because I feel like it speaks for itself in what you just said. What the actual fuck. What the actual fuck. But that is an example of a brother's grim tale called Clever Hans. Clever Hans. Not so clever Hans. Weird ass Hans. I call that weird ass Hans. I feel like he's just a little homicidal maniac. Yeah, he 100%. 100% is going to be a serial killer when he gets older. 100%. (laughs) Wow. Wow, I need a drink after that. That was a whirlwind. You know, speaking of Hans, um, I just recently watched the Gretel and Hansel movie. I loved that movie. Yeah. With the, who's that, uh, the actress in it? Who, she was in it. I love her. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, what's her name? Sophia Lillis is her name. Yeah, she's great. I can't wait to see what she does, like, throughout her career. Uh, there's a show on Netflix called, I think it's called I Am Not Okay With This, mm-hmm. starring her. Check it out. Excellent. Fantastic. Oh, I love, okay. I, I will. Hands Fantastic. down. Hands down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just recently watched that movie, and it was it was so interestingly done because they use the language of kind of fairy tales. Right, like, yes. like the the script was written after fairy tales, so I it's it's a cool movie. You should check definitely check it out. Yeah, it, um, it was really good. And also, it's Gretel and Hansel, which I love. Mm-hmm. Gretel comes before Hansel, and like 
there's a female empowerment absolutely narrative there yeah. which is really excellent so um, she took care of a little bit of business she took care of some business yeah for sure yeah love 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 that um so kind of breaking away from the brothers grim i had a couple more um folklorists that i thought it would be fun to kind of touch on i didn't really um pull any of their stories for this but i thought their history was kind of cool so in the same vein of fairy tales um you have the brothers Grimm, obviously giants of the genre but then you also have hans christian anderson absolutely who is another giant in and of himself of the genre so he was born in denmark and his first kind of gig was not writing. It was acting. Um, and it was through acting that someone kind of down along the line um, said to him that they thought he kind of reminded them of a poet, just the way he carried himself and the mm. language he used mm-hmm. and things like that. And so that is really what kind of sparked his interest in writing um, and how he became the fairy tale writer that he um that he became um he wrote three books of fairy tales um and what was interesting about his fairy tales is that he um he didn't really have any sort of educational motive behind them he wrote Mm -hmm. them for kids in particular um but he didn't have a moral he didn't have um any sort of education element he just did it for entertainment he wanted kids to be entertained by the fairy tales he wrote and because of that his the critics hated him of course they were like how dare you write something for children that wasn't considered education right can't i can't deal with that but his his most uh some of his most famous stories i should say um were the little mermaid the ugly duckling and the little match girl which i love that story the emperor's new clothes yes the emperor's new clothes oh, i love that one so he's behind a lot of the real famous ones yeah the princess and the pea the princess and the pea that's another good that's one. a fun one did you say the ugly duckling yes yeah that's, ugly duckling. i mean you can't go wrong with that thumbelina my I mom used Kendrick. to read that to me all the time when I was a kid. It's a good one. It is. It's a super good one. The Little Match Girl. Did you say that? Yeah, one? Little Match yeah. Girl. Love. I love that story. Good, good stories. I love that story. So Hans Christian Anders- Anderson has to be mentioned when you're talking fairy tales. Um, a different kind of folklorist, so he did not focus so much on fairy tales as, as fables, is Aesop. And one of the the fun things about Aesop is he's uh, he so he's ancient Greece mm-hmm. um, storyteller in ancient Greece. They cannot really tell. There are lots of scholars working on this. Um, they can't tell if he actually existed <laughs> or not. Right. So like a lot of fairy uh, fables have been associated with Aesop. Um, but there's no like clear there there's never been anything found physically found that it was written by Aesop it's all uh they've been passed down in kind of this oral tradition and associated with Aesop um so that's kind of why they're like did this person really exist like what's going on here um from what they can gather um from kind of this oral tradition that was passed down Aesop was thought to have been a slave and eventually, later in life, he is freed and becomes an advisor to kings. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the stories that Aesop is known for is the wolf in sheep's clothing. He, yeah, his are more morality. Morality based, exactly. The tortoise and the hare. The tortoise and the hare. The lion and the mouse. My one of my all-time favorites is the ant and the or the grasshopper and the ants. Yes. When they're being diligent and yep. getting ready for winter, and the grasshopper's yep. like, "Yeah, hey, screw oh, you, yeah. I'm gonna." What are you doing that for? Yeah, what are you doing that that's for? That's so funny. I love yeah. that one. Yeah, that's great. And I remember 
reading. I had this orange, it was a large orange book of Aesop fables and it was hard, hard bound. Um, and I would sit in my little blue rocking chair and I would read my Aesop fables. That is amazing. Yeah. I remember that vividly. And I wonder where that book is now because that is like such a huge part of my childhood. Um, I'm going to have to find it. It's an orange book? It's an orange book. And it had like a little kid on the front reading, I believe. Um, it was awesome. It was an awesome book. And it had all sort it had illustrations in it. It was very cool. So uh, the last person I'll mention uh, before we kind of get into some some spooky fairy of folklore um, is the Countess de Alnoy, and I might be saying that wrong, but the Countess de Alnoy. Um, she was from France, and she is a badass. Do tell, because I've never heard of heard of her. Badass. Um, she primarily wrote fairy tales. Um, and so kind of her background is when she was 15, she was married off to a 30-year-old man. Um, what the hell? Of course she was. Of course she was. And so at 19, a couple of years later, she found a man uh, who she actually liked and had an affair with him. Okay. And they kind of cavorted and accused the husband of treason. And there was this big trial, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And it was found out that they were lying. <laughs> so the lover, I believe, may have been executed. But the countess was able to escape. She fled She fled police chase. <laughs> and she went underground. And during her time in hiding, she became a spy for France. What? Yes. She became a spy. And so she was spying on all these little countries all across um Europe and she was spy for France for a while and then when that chapter of her life kind of ended she came back and she was kind of in high society and so she started hosting salons and in the fairy tale episode if you'll remember when we talked about salons it was all about you know you could really get away with talking shit essentially on the government um, and putting it in this really sing-songy language like a fairy tale Mm -hmm. and they'd never know so she was telling these fairy tales and critiquing the government in her living room essentially with other women and it was awesome and so she did that for a period of time and through that she had a friend um who was also betrothed married off to some man she did not love um so she that woman had convinced one of her servants um to retaliate against her husband because she just he you know for whatever reason yeah um the servant was killed because they found out that they were retaliating against the husband and yeah. this woman was beheaded. Oh, hell. And it also turns out that the countess was somehow involved in this situation, <laughs> but she evaded police. Of again. course. Good. She evaded police. <laughs> um, and she wrote fairy tales after that. Um, and the fairy tales she wrote all centered on love coming to heroines after much turmoil, as you could guess. So her heroines always at the end found their true love um, after going through trials and tribulations. Um, The sad thing is, is that there's not really any um, 
clear kind of account that I could find of fairy tales attributed to Countess de Alnoish. They were always meant for adults um, because they were more love stories. Okay, yeah. Um, but they were written in French and most of the translations that you would find in English that are attributed to her mm-hmm. are nothing like the originals. Uh, so it's like you can't really rely yeah. on the English versions. Are there any stories tales. we would know? Not that I could find. Hmm. So she's a little bit of a um, outlier, I guess you would yeah. say. But if you have ever come across the Countess de Alnois tales, please let us know. How do you spell her name? Uh, D apostrophe A U L N O Y. Huh. Yeah. So um, she's really cool, and I love her. And she evaded uh, persecution like a boss. <laughs> God, you got to root for any woman who could do that yeah. in, in that time. Underground. Anytime, spy, but in that time. Like, what? Hosting salons? I'm all about that. Um, but I know, Andemic, you have read up on some on some folklore. I myself have read up on some folklore for this episode. Yeah. A little more spooky folklore um, than some of the more historical stuff um, when it comes to folklore. And I think that I would love to share and hear some of those tales. Yeah, I, um, I, I was trying to... to to go into something that uh, that isn't the traditional Brothers Grimm or isn't, you know, just the traditional stuff that everybody knows or has heard of. Um, so I really wanted to look into African folklore. Mm, yes. Um, just because that that's not, that's never really been in my wheelhouse and I'm very curious about it. Sure. Um, so it, it was overwhelming. It was absolutely overwhelming and 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 excellent. Everything that, that I was reading, the stories are fabulous. But it was too much. It was too much for me for this particular, you know, oh, sure. hour I mean, and whatever that we're doing. I imagine that could even be, you know, one whole exploration of African yeah. folklore. Right? I mean, you know, it could be a series. Yeah. Um, so I, I brought it a little closer to home. And uh, I, I was. I was over overwhelmed by the rich traditions. And I, I started looking uh, here in America and at the African-American mm-hmm. uh, folklore tradition. And I came across um, a culture of people called the Gullah. And I know you know about the Gullah. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I knew the word. I knew of the Gullah, but I didn't know quite, you know, who they were. So I wanted to dive in and learn a little bit about them. Um, they're a, a unique coastal community yes. and yes. culture. And their, their heritage uh, corridor, I guess you could call it, extends from uh like wilmington north carolina Mm -hmm. down um to down to florida maybe jacksonville like the top of florida okay and i know there there is another group of people in there too called the the getchi okay um who are also and and they share some similar traditions um but i focused on the gullah um and and all those barrier islands that are in there there are about 80 barrier islands Mm -hmm. in that area but that's that's typically where they are and the gullah they were are the descendants of the enslaved peoples who were brought here from West Africa. Okay. And um, and they were brought to the Carolinas. So when, uh, when they were freed, um, they stayed together. And a lot of these people from the same areas stayed together on the coast. Okay. Um, so what I like about it is it shows how how many of their own they they kept their own cultural um what's the word 
Traditions? Traditions. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, right. Is that yeah. <laughs> Damn ginger rabbit. Um, <laughs> they kept they kept their own traditions, but then they also also infused them with things that they that they learned here in the Americas. Which, uh, I don't know, but it was just it was so fascinating to read about them. Um, but their their storytelling tradition is strong. Yeah, um, absolutely strong. I was looking and listening. Um, I learned about and you know these the boo hags. Ah, I love the boo hag. Um, I love the boo hag. Um. The Gullahs believe that we have both a soul and a spirit. Uh, they believe that the souls leave the bodies upon death, uh, and if it's a good soul, goes to heaven. Okay. Um, the spirit of a person uh, has a different function. A good spirit stays behind to watch over the deceased's family, guiding and protecting them like, you know, spirit guides. Um, a bad spirit, though, uh, is called a boo hag. <laughs> and chime in here. With yes, anything that you that you know, the boo hag uses witchcraft to manipulate people and steals energy from the living mm-hmm. um, while they sleep. Mm-hmm. So Gullahs sometimes bid each other good night, saying, "Don't let the boo hag ride you." Yes, um, my favorite thing. They're a little bit, I guess, they're a little bit like vampires um, in that they're they're undead and they feed off of living humans. They feed yep. off the energy rather than you know blood. Uh, they're skinless. Yep. And they're bright red in color. Yep. Um, and bulging blue veins. Yes. Yes. That's horrific. Yes. Um, and to survive in the world of the living, they steal a person's skin and they wear it like clothes so that they can move amongst living people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At night, though, they shed their skin and go looking for victims to ride. They do. And do you know who their favorite victim is? Do tell. Mm-hmm. They love to find the man who's cheating on his wife. <sighs> Feeding on the evildoer. And they follow him home. Yes. And they wait till he's comfortable in his bed. Yes. And then they wake him and ride him through the streets every night. And every morning when he awakes, he has had a poor night's rest and is just weary and uncertain of why he is so tired because the boo hag has been riding him all night long. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, they It's s- my favorite story. Yes, they <laughs> sit on their chests and mm-hmm. steal their breath. Yep. Oh my god, that's fantastic. Yes. yes. Um <laughs> I love it. Yes. Okay, so <laughs> there are apparently some warning signs uh that let you know that a boo hag is close. Okay. First, Please the air talk. will become very hot and damp. Ooh. And I'm sorry, but if you're over there in the Carolinas, isn't it's it always be, hot it's and damp? It's going to be hot and damp. So that's just like, okay, So there's just not, not a, a sign. Boo-hag. There's no sign. There's no sign there. Second, the air will smell like something is rotting. Okay. Well, I mean, that uh, natural. That 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 checks. Mm-hmm. Um, it does. Yeah. Um, so if you wake up exhausted... You may have been ridden by a boo-hag. You probably were ridden by a boo-hag. If you're a friggin' dirty-ass, filthy cheat... Cheat, yeah. ...and you're tired all of a sudden, guess what? May the boo-hag come a-riding. Yeah. I hope hope you are getting ridden by a boo-hag. Yeah. Dirty (laughs) fool. Dirty (laughs) fool. So, but they're also... The boo-hags are not without their weaknesses. Um, They, uh, much like many, many other um, evil spirits, uh, they're repelled... By indigo blue. 
Yes, they are. And if you have ever been to South Charleston, particularly South Carolina, indigo blue mm-hmm. doors are a plenty. Yeah. Um, uh, paint the people, they would paint the tops of their windows. Yep. Um, indigo blue. And so yep. then they can't get through because that's how sometimes they sneak in through cracks in windows and yes. uh, cracks in houses and things like that. Yes. So yeah, yes. seal up the cracks with uh, indigo blue. Yes. And it is, I am not joking, indigo blue doors everywhere. 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 I love that that tradition is still there. Yes. I love that. Yes. Um, salt also, which mm-hmm. is pretty common mm-hmm. um, in folklore and in uh, the paranormal. Yeah. Um, you surround yourself with goat. Uh, with, with goat. With goats. <laughs> Damn you, Hansel. <laughs> Hans. Sorry, not oh Hansel. Oh, my God. Hans. Um, apparently, though, it's pretty difficult to salt. A, a hag, uh, especially since they can't just run around pouring salt on people they deem suspicious. Fair. So, you know, you couldn't just run up and on somebody. But I mean, I'm sure they could. did. Women were probably the brunt of that, too, and were beaten senseless because, oh, my God, it's a boo hag. Yeah, I mean, yeah, probably. <sighs> I mean, it. probably. We, you know. Okay, so here is the easiest way to avoid a visit from a boo hag. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. Don't be a turd. Should be literally the easiest thing yeah. you've ever done. Um, and you keep a straw broom or a brush with many bristles close by. They're apparently curious and compulsive creatures, and they can't seem to pass a straw broom without counting every last strand. Kind of like vampires, and you throw up the rice or whatever, and they they have to pick up every single piece. Yeah. Um, So by the time they finish counting, they typically don't have enough time to get back to their own skin. Um, Ride you and, you know, get back to their own skin, so you're saved. Yeah. it says sieves and sta- uh, strainers will also work. Okay. Um, because they count need to count all the holes. That's cool. That is really funny. That's super fun. That is awesome. Yeah. I like this blue hag. I, I do too. It's like she, they, she gets really distracted. Mm-hmm. She's like me. Yeah. Although they say um, to you have to really be careful with that. Um, it's, it is a gamble because there are some boo hags who are really fast counters. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So if you see, if it's counting fast, just run. Run. Just wake run. up in the middle of the night, run, mm-hmm. run. I love that. I love that you focused on that because the boot hag is so fun. It is. And, and I knew nothing about it. Yeah. I didn't know as much as you just went into and it's just wonderful. Yeah. Sometimes I, I feel in awe and in shame of all of this that I don't know. I know. There's, I mean, there's so much. I know. Though. I know. There's so much. Okay, so here's the the last thing I um, I found this. Have you been exhausted lately? Tonight, when you go to bed, be sure to hang a strainer on your bedroom's doorknob, and leave a straw broom in the corner of the room. Maybe you should place a salt shaker on your night table, just in case. Hopefully, that will be enough for you to have a good night's sleep. I love that. I just wanted to say a couple names of notable Gullah storytellers who st- to please, are, please. are still telling stories. Anita Singleton Prather, P-R-A-T-H-E-R. She um, goes by the name Aunt Pearly Sue. Amazing. You can just, you just get sucked in. Um, they draw you into these stories. Um, Louise Cohen, C-O-H-E-N, and Teresa Hilliard, and spelled just like the town in Ohio, H-I-L-L-I-A-R-D. I just wanted to, to awesome. say a couple names. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to have to check them out. I want to do more research. That's that, that's an amazing, um, I love the boo hag and they have an amazing 
cultural tradition mm-hmm. and yeah for yeah sure. and and i know i didn't do it uh, a huge amount of justice just because of time constraints but um it is fascinating and i highly recommend reading all you can absolutely yeah absolutely well, on any subject but yeah the Gullah, the Gullah f- for sure fascinating people um so with that i'll kind of launch into one of the tales that i um that i came across and I should say that for this episode I really focused on this book that I found and it's beautiful it's called Beneath the Moon and it's by Yoshi Yoshitani um, and it's just this beautiful compilation of all sorts of folklore from around the globe um, and the the stories themselves um, they're kind of simplified a little bit told in their most base form mm-hmm. so you like, get the kind of gist behind the story sure. um, but the focus is really on telling as many stories from across the globe as possible um, kind of giving them in their particular global cultural context and then the artwork of the artwork book. in that book is phenomenal it's beautiful um, so and bright and colorful um, really a celebration of all the different cultures uh, mm-hmm. represented in the book. And I should also say that Yoshi Yoshitani has a tarot line that corresponds with this book, which I do not have, but I am going to purchase. Yeah, you'll have that I the next time that. I see you. You'll I have will that. have that. So um, one of the, and it was just so fun to kind of get this book because some of them you recognize, I think like Sleeping Beauty is mm-hmm. in here and things like that. Um, but some of them I've never heard. Yeah. And I, those were the ones I kind of focused on a little bit for tonight. Um, so the first one I wanted to chat about was the Timbo tree. Have you ever heard of the no. Timbo tree? Okay. So this is a, um, a legend out of Paraguay. Um, and this is a legend um, of the Guarani people, which is a indigenous kind of population okay. in South America. Um, so I'll just give you kind of the gist. I won't read it all, but I'll give you the gist of what the Timbo tree is about. And I think this will spark a fun conversation <laughs> if I if I'm judging it correctly. But um, essentially, the Timbo tree centers around a tribe in South America. Okay. Um, and a father and his daughter who have a very close bond. And the daughter is uh, falls in love with a, a person from a different tribe. And so she goes and lives in their village. And the father doesn't hear from her for a long while. I should say spoiler alert. I didn't say that. <laughs> but spoiler alert. If you don't want to know what happens, don't listen to this part. Um, but the father hasn't heard from her a while. Wants to go find out uh, what, what's going on with his daughter. And when he arrives at the village that she left for it is completely ransacked mm-hmm. um clearly something terrible has happened but not a soul can be found and no clue as to who the invaders were can oh. be found um so he goes off in search of his daughter um where the timbo tree comes in which is a tree in south america um is a skull is found with a timbo tree kind of growing out of it because this person had been listening to the ground to hear footsteps what um yes so it is it is a really beautiful story kind of about you know familial connection and about um kind of separation and that sort of thing um but the thing that struck me immediately when i read it is how similar the american story of roanoke is really yes oh very similar um 
it is all about a village that is thriving, doing just fine. And then all of a sudden everyone is gone and no one knows what happened and no one knows who came and who did this and no one ever will. Yeah. And it just struck me that, you know, again, we were talking a little earlier about, you know, across the globe, we have these human experiences. Um, and, and they're very similar, um, but but they're half a world away from one another. So I just I I I really like that story because it reminded me so much of a story that I was always fascinated by when I was little, which was Roanoke. Well, I, uh, yeah, absolutely. Just humans kind of see themselves as kings of the mountain, mm-hmm. and for something to be able to just make you disappear yes however it happened whatever happened um is so uh chilling and terrifying to us because we are invincible yes we think we are yes um that i can see how that would be a a piece of human nature yeah absolutely fragility that we don't want to acknowledge exactly humanity (laughs) exactly exactly yeah that's that's fascinating exactly um so that's the tempo tree do you want me to give you another Yes, please. Um, so the second one I read was uh, the the myth of Fenrir. Ah, yes. I love Fenrir. Yes. Um, so this is out of Norway. It's a Norse myth. And um, it focuses on this character of Fenrir. So Fenrir is this kind of werewolfy character. And he is the son of the trickster god Loki. Yes. Um, and he is very, um, powerful and very scary. Um, and he is said to be what will eventually be bring about Ragnarok, right? which is the end of the, the world. End of the world right. So because of this, the gods, um, they do not like Fenrir. They want him to go away. <laughs> they do not want the end of the world to come. Um, so they have to kind of figure out a way to get rid of Fenrir. And um, the best way they can do is to trick him into a trap. Um, so they, they eventually are able to do this. And um, they tie him to a rock and stick a knife through his snout um, so that he can't bite, right? Yeah. Um, and he is said to be tied to this rock currently and awaiting his chance to be free and cause Ragnarok. So someday Fenrir... Yes. We'll um, clean house. We'll clean house. And I thought that was such a good example of a myth because it is kind of this this apocalyptic tale, um, a, a culture's apocalyptic tale of how the end of the world will come right. to be, will be through Fenrir. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a really, really kind of fun one. I, I like have a couple more, but I don't oh, know. Oh, no, this is anymore. fascinating. I, yeah. I want to give um, give her as much time. Sorry, I didn't know. No, who? Yoshi Yoshitani. Yoshitani, yeah. yeah. Um, give as much time to this as possible. This book is fabulous. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And there were many more stories than one I'm going to kind of feature tonight. Um, so I do recommend you, if you have the means, to purchase the book because it's beautiful. Um, I just want to say that each um, illustration in this book is a freaking tattoo. Oh, 100%. I mean, it 100%. 100%. It is so beautiful. 100%. Gorgeous. Um, so the third one I'll feature, and I had four in total, just so you know. Okay. So the third one, um, is the boy Tata. Um, and the boy Tata comes from Brazil, is a Brazilian myth. 
Um, this is a particularly eerie one, and it kind of goes along with the story you just read about Hans. <laughs> so the boy Tata is um, a, a, a myth that's centered around the Amazon. And in this myth, there is this horrible circumstance where um, darkness descends and does not go away. And then this ter- terrible torrential rainfall um, happens and will not go away. And so the people there are going hungry because the crops won't grow, because there's no sunlight, um, and the water is pulling. And so um, they're facing, you know, conditions where many of them are drowning, animals are drowning. And while all of this is happening, a snake that lives in the woods wakes up um, after a very long time and begins to slither its way through the Amazon. And with all the water that's rushing by, finds that there are lots of bodies about to eat. And so it begins to eat the bodies, but its favorite part of the bodies are the eyes. And so it begins to eat the eyes. Well, what is really interesting is that many of the eyes that it's consuming um, still have the energy from the last sunlight that they saw. So the boy Tata is eating all of these eyeballs filled with the energy of the last sunlight and eats so many of them that it itself bursts into flames and that flame drives the darkness and and the rainfall away. But what is even kind of creepier about it is that it still roams the rain, uh, the Amazon, um, and it will eat the eyes of anyone who comes to do harm to the Amazon. And unfortunately, it is a cursed creature. So if you look upon it, you will fall ill as well. Go blind, go insane, or even die. Yes, yes, indeed. So that is the story of the boy Tata, which I thought was fascinating. Love that. Love that. that. I have never heard that, and that is one of the most awesome stories I've ever heard. Isn't it? Isn't it fun? <laughs> yes. The last one was super recognizable, um, and it is La Llorona um, out of Mexico. So this is a Mexican piece of folklore. Uh, for those of you who do not know La Llorona, um, the gist of the story is a, a poor but very beautiful woman um, falls in love with a rich man, and they wed, and they have two children together. And then eventually over time, the man finds another woman who he decides he wants to run off with and have a family with because he's a dirty asshole. Send the boo hag. Yep, send the boo hag in. Um, And so in her grief and rage, um, La Llorona murders her two children by drowning them in a river. And that's like Medea. That goes back to Greek mythology. Exactly. Exactly. All of these are so tied together. It's amazing. So she drowns her two children in a river in this kind of rage. And then when she comes out of the rage, she realizes what she has done and tries to revive Mm -hmm. them and can't. So she kills herself in the river um, as well. And when she goes to the underworld, they send her back to Earth and they said, go find the bodies of your children. That's what we're condemning you to do is go find the bodies of your children. So she returns to Earth in a ghostly form. And she is now condemned to wander the earth, finding wayward children who are no longer with their parents. And she finds them and she drowns them in a body of water to help hopefully replace the two that she has lost. Is the La Llorona legend super creepy. Wow, that is creepy. Um, 
Now, what I will say, La Llorona has had kind of this resurgence recently. Yeah, a couple movies. A couple movies. Yeah. Um, I watched The the Curse of La Llorona, which I feel like is the Americanized version, um, a long time ago. I won't speak to it because it was such a long time ago. But I recently, as in like two days ago, watched the La Llorona um, version produced by Shudder or sponsored or whatever by Mm -hmm. Shudder um and it is brilliant it is a it is a wonderful movie it's a different spin on this folklore it's not quite exactly the storyline that I just laid out for you um and I'll also say that it's not exactly what you would uh say is a typical scary movie but it's a very haunting film and so well done it's just a good movie it's a good movie and I would recommend anyone watch it who's even a tad interested in folklore or La Llorona itself that is high praise and I am looking forward to to yes for sure so I think this brings up a good question of especially with the La Llorona discussion um the reemergence of fairy tales folklore Mm -hmm. in pop culture um i think it's having a resurgence well do you think disney gets a a a huge amount of that uh credit i i mean i i think that they definitely have a part to play for Sure. sure um and that's one of the things that i that i'd note is that you know i think that you know we both kind of came of age in a genera- in generations that Disney was a thing, a very uh, a force, right, yes. in children's yes. entertainment. And so and and we know that Disney focused a lot on fairy tales because they were stories that were already written. It was kind yeah. of like the gold mine for them, yeah, right? Exactly. To be able to animate something already written. Mm-hmm. Um and so we kind of came of age at a time where these stories were being told and we were growing up with them and many times they were, you know, loved stories. Right. Um and so I think now as adults there's this desire to kind of return to those stories but frame them through an adult lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just thinking kind of like the the new movies, the live action Disney movies like Beauty and the Beast and Cinderella yeah. and Maleficent. Yeah. Um, you even had that, that re- Little Red Riding Hood movie that came out recently. Right. Um, TV has Grimm, has Once Upon a Time. It right. just feels like there's this resurgence. Yeah. Supernatural. There's this resurgence of the fairy tale that I find so fascinating. And one of the things I kind of wanted to to kind of get your perspective on endemic is that I do think that not only is it this desire of our generations to return to those stories through an adult lens but also to reframe those stories in a modern way um, because you know when they were told when they were collected um, it, it feels as though certain, types of people controlled the narrative sure um particularly men Mm -hmm. controlled the narrative and i feel like when you tell those same stories through a modern lens you have different people able to bring their perspective to it different cultures different um genders Mm -hmm. different sexualities just different backgrounds different perspectives and it makes the age-old tale uh palatable for a new generation exactly and that's what their purpose was right that's what folklore yeah. is about so they're ever evolving they're not done they're they're 
finite. Exactly. Wait, is that right? The right word? They're they're infinite. 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 They're exactly infinite. right. Yes. Um, because the iterations are endless. Yes. And I I think that's exactly right. And I think that's why they're still popular mm-hmm. today. Because the, you can. You well, can because human nature doesn't really change that much. No. Uh, we're still afraid of the same things. We're yep. still, uh, we still think the same things are, are funny and, you know. Yep, exactly. Um, so, the, uh, yeah, I don't know that they'll ever become obsolete. No. As long as they keep evolving. Exactly. And they will keep evolving. And they will keep evolving. it's in our nature to create. Exactly. And to explain our stories in creative ways. Exactly. Exactly. And so one of the cool things I know... I've found, and I'm sure you would probably agree with this, is that in in this current age, Mm -hmm. what we're kind of exploring through it is femininity. Yeah. And what does it mean to be a strong woman? Mm -hmm. Um, And so some of the the stories that you're seeing now, I'm going back to that Gretel and Hansel, it Mm -hmm. is about Gretel. It is about the female character. Um, I I think of, you know, Beauty and the Beast being another good example of this, is that, you know, for I mean, I know that uh, Emma Watson's Beauty and the Beast, some people loved it, some people hated it, but for whatever you thought the movie was about, Emma Watson brought a strong, smart, mm-hmm. independent Belle to the screen. Yeah. Um, and you can make the argument that even the Disney version of Belle, she was always smart, um, but there was still kind of this element of being a helpless little girl right um and i think emma watson brought something different to that character where she wasn't helpless she chose to be there she chose to do what she did yeah um and i think that you're seeing more of that yeah um uh, brave uh tank uh, the the brave yeah brave the celtic one the celtic version yeah yeah um i like that that little girls are getting to see themselves more and little girls of of all color of yes um are getting to see themselves more and that's what i like about the evolution uh of the stories absolutely um, they're they're becoming much more inclusive because we all have a story you know exactly. but if you're only seeing one version of it on the uh, the screen on the page then that's um that's a disservice it is to the richness yeah. of humanity. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I just wanted to kind of touch a little bit on that because I think that we're definitely seeing that mm-hmm. right now. Um, they're becoming popular again. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would argue they probably never were unpopular. Yeah. But um, they definitely are very prevalent in our pop culture yeah. um, right now. It's the new life. Um, the new life in this new generation of, of I don't know, of us, I guess. Yeah. Um, that they're finally, you know, um, they're finally becoming more inclusive. And I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, for sure. Uh, is they're, they're becoming more for everybody. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, do you think it's time for a what the hell? What the hell? What the hell? The first what the hell of the season. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, all right. So. I have to give a, a special shout out. I don't know if she's going to want me to say her name, but I'm going to say it. Kim is her name. Kim. But I won't tell anymore because, you know, she might freak out. <laughs> anyway, but I know she listens to these, so she's probably right now going, what the hell? What the hell? <laughs> so anyway, I had no idea this existed. Um, and it's all the way back from 2009. But uh, in 2009, Ryan Gosling and okay. somebody called Zach Shields had a a band dead man's bones and they put out an album 
um it is she said hey just check this out she's she's very protective of it because she loves it so much she said i think you you might get it if anybody gets it sure you might get it so she um she turned me on to it and it is flipping fantastic and i listened to the entire thing i love um, it i love it you sent me it and i haven't listened to yeah it yet, but i need to so i read that i read it described as this and it, and it makes complete sense once you listen to it um as though the haunted mansion was squatted by a cross spirit world cast of emo teenagers i am about that description <laughs> um apparently Ryan Gosling and this this Zach Shields they met and bonded over their mutual obsession with the haunted mansion at Disney the ride. Oh, I love that. Um, so they got together and they um, they they put this this album together because they were also both obsessed with ghosts and um, apparently Gosling's parents moved out of his childhood home because they believed it was haunted. Um, and and apparently they hadn't outgrown these fascinations with graveyards and things. So there are people basically. Um, uh, so they they come they come together and they do this this album uh, called Dead Man's Bones, and they did the entire thing in collaboration with the Silver Lake Conservatory Children's Choir. Okay, and that was started by uh, Flea, who's the basis for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, and they're out of Los Angeles, California, um, and. Gosling and Shields decided they were going to play all the instruments on the record, even those that they had never touched before. They figured out how to play uh, for the purposes of this album. And if you if you do see it, Ryan Gosling goes by the name Baby Goose. Uh, of course, of um, course. But I I tell you what, I I am hard pet pressed to pick a favorite song on the album. And okay, I'm I'm kind of an asshole. I'm super picky about pretty much most things. <laughs> It is really hard for me to get into something, um, but this captured me from the very first line. And I'm not going to tell you what the very first line is because hearing it for the first time, I was like, oh, shit, yes. is this what I'm in for? Yes. Um, but I will say, listen to the name of this song, My Body's a Zombie for You. I'm, uh, I am so <laughs> about this. That might be my favorite, um, but I do highly recommend the whole thing. It's on YouTube. Um, I am so about this. That's where I listen to it. But f okay, so my what the hell is what the hell? How did I not know this how existed? Did, how? Yes, I'm right there with you. And apparently, people uh, b back then would say, "Oh, well, it's not great because the the kids are off key or blah blah blah." What? But here's the thing that adds that adds to the the um to the atmosphere of the album. Yeah. You know, they they aren't perfect singers, but they're pretty damn good singers. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I just. Um, I also hate that idea that you have to be like, I have been told that my musical taste is people singing who don't know how to sing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I hate that attitude that like you have to be the perfect vocalist right. to make a good ass song. Like you, you don't. don't. You don't. You just don't. Um, but I tell you, for not having played some of the instruments and then just doing it for this album, I, I, I really, I can't speak highly enough about this, I this have, album. I can't wait. I yeah. literally can't wait. I'm going to do that this So weekend. yeah, Dead Man's Bones um, with Ryan Gosling and Zach Shields. It's on YouTube. I can't wait. What the hell? What the hell? Yeah. Okay, my what the hell is um, I wanted to keep it kind of close to uh, the folklore theme. So I went down a rabbit hole of the Tooth Fairy. Okay, so I have a lot to unpack here, and I'll do it briefly. So the Tooth Fairy 
Um, it actually dates back to Northern Europe, a Northern Europe tradition in the 1200s. Wow. So okay. it's, it's actually been around for a very long time. Um, so obviously, uh, the current tradition is when a child loses a tooth, they're told to leave it under their pillow. And a tooth fairy will come and collect the tooth and leave them some sort of prize or gift for, yes. for the tooth. Um, across the globe, that is one tradition. And then the other tradi- another tradition is um, some children are told to throw their teeth into the air because it brings them good luck in some sort of <laughs> yeah. way. So just Never raining, heard raining molars. Delightful. Around. <laughs> um, but that that is another uh, current global tradition in, in the realm of children losing teeth. But it has not always been such kind of this nice, cutesy little um, story. Mm-hmm. Uh, in medieval times, in fact, um, when the story kind of permeated through Europe and reached England, um, parents in England warned their children that when they lost their teeth, they were to burn them and get rid of them. Um, and the reason for that is they said that if the children were to die, that they would be condemned in the afterlife to be searching for their teeth <laughs> what? for the rest of their their otherworldly life. Um, I thought that was wonderful. <laughs> and then the Vikings, so if you return back up to Northern Europe, um, they actually would pay kids for their teeth. And then they would wear the teeth around their neck in the battle because they considered them good luck. So just like, you know, just a ring of teeth around their neck going off in the so battle. So you have to wonder who did that first and why did they think it was good why luck? Why did they think that was good luck? Yeah, very confusing. Very confusing. Um, so then there was this um, time where, okay, so that tradition is happening. Time goes on. And then they start talking about leaving your teeth out for the rats because the rats will take the teeth and that promotes like your your new teeth will come in as strong as a rat. Well, it's funny that you just said rats because when you said in medieval Europe, they burned the teeth. And I thought, well, I wonder if that was maybe some preventative measure, some uh, some folklore built around, you know, a preventative measure to keep rats in the bubonic plague yeah. away. Yeah. Well, then it later evolved into give the teeth to the rats because then your teeth will come in as strong as a rat's. <laughs> Very confusing. And then some, uh, okay, someone just explained this to me. Then it has evolved into this very benevolent, I say that with quotes, woman who comes into your room at night, steals your body parts, and gives you a dime. Gives you a dime. What the hell? What the hell? That's horrible. Where did that, where did that come from? I'd rather know. give it to the damn rats. Yeah. Yeah. At least they'd probably like use it for a nest. <laughs> I'd rather give it to the Vikings. Yeah. Let them have some good luck. Yes. Who? What What the hell is she doing with the teeth? She's probably putting them in her mouth as her own teeth. Ew, isn't there, there's a, a horror movie about that, right? The The Darkness Falls. The Darkness, Darkness Falls. Falls. Darkness Falls, yep. If we had a, um, a, a listener... Email us about Darkness Falls. The rat. The rat emailed us about Darkness Falls. See, it's all coming it's all full circle. Co- it's all coming full circle. Oh, my God. Jesus. 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 <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> wow. Well, that is a definite. That is a good what the hell. I didn't know some of that. Yeah. Isn't that. That's creeps me out. But but my mind always day. goes when I hear a story like any of any of that that doesn't make sense. Who was the first? And what purpose did it what serve? What purpose? 
I would like to believe, too, that there were just trickster people out there, trickster, surly humans like us all through. Did you know that's good luck? Yeah, all through time <laughs> and history. Yeah, you know what? If you yeah, do this, yeah. uh, if you go out late at night, La Llorona's going to get you. Mm. Wonder about that. I really hope some of this is just some asshole who's yes. like, I want to freak someone. I'm going to freak some kids out. I would love that. <sighs> love that. So good. What the hell's? Yeah, really good. Really good. Good first episode, Andemic. This I, is a, this has been really fun. I felt a little rusty, but I feel like um, the ginger rabbit knocked the rust off. Ru- knock that rust off. Well, and you taught me some fun stuff that I yeah, didn't know, which, super um, fun. which I like that. So, super fun. Um, all right. So I hope, listeners, you had as much fun as we did tonight. Um, please, 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 um, if you enjoy this podcast, enjoy this episode tonight, um, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts um, and, and send us a like, send us a message, rating, review, all that good stuff. It all helps us get out to more yeah. listeners. Um, so anything that you can do for us in that realm would be so very uh welcome and appreciated also share with yeah. a friend family i feel like member. even if nobody liked us we'd still be sitting down here talking oh, shit, i mean this so. is gonna happen no matter if you like us or not <laughs> but, but we but hope, I really you hope you do because we want oh yeah yeah i really we do this in part you. for you guys because yeah we know there are nerds out there who maybe don't have anybody to sit in a basement and shoot the shit with exactly so about we'll, horror stuff we'll do that with you yeah we'll do that with you we'll do that with you all the time yeah. Um, so please, yes, uh, recommend us to a friend. Help us grow this little community. Mm-hmm. Um, follow us on Instagram. Uh, it's at the Horror Salon. We always have fun content going up there. We try to post there pretty regularly. Um, so please check us out on Instagram. Yeah. Um, also, we have a fun website, thehorrorsalon.com. Um, and that is, uh, just a fun way to kind of learn a little bit more about the Pazoozies, about (laughs) the episode itself. We always have fun show notes going up with links to everything that we, um, have kind of talked about. So if you want to dive into any of these rabbit holes with us, that's a good way to do so. Um, and then of course... Please, please, please get in touch with us. Yeah. Um, share your favorite folklore, um, your favorite scary stories, your what the hells. Oh, yeah. And anything really that you think might interest us or that you'd like to see in an upcoming episode. Yeah. Or We're a cocktail always, that you love. A cocktail that you love that you'd love us to try. Yeah. Um, we are so open to that and would love to open that line of communication with yes, you. So um, you can reach us at info at the um, for all of that. So with that. All right. <laughs> the candle is out. The Pazoos is most <laughs> definitely emptied. Yes, ma'am. Uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this first podcast of the new season. Yes, yes. Uh, I am Andemic. And I'm the witch. We'll catch you next time at the Horror Salon, where we curate the strange and unusual. Until dawn do us part.
monsters, it's the witch. And Anne Demick. Music for this episode is Rage by the 126ers. Check out our website for show notes and links to some cool extras. Later, nerds.